Good morning. Good morning. You guys doing well? I think we're getting teased a little bit by spring. Uh, yesterday, it was so beautiful outside. And I shared this last night. I'll share it again because it's funny and it's at my own expense. But I was running outside. I was going to my basement. I was just so excited. I had, my, I had shorts on, believe it or not, and a t-shirt. And I was rounding my car in my driveway. And I slipped on a patch of ice. Uh, it was just a little reminder that winter is still here, uh, even though it looks a little bit like spring. Uh, hey, everyone. My name is Brian. And whether you're here with us uh, in person or you're streaming from another location, uh, I just want to let you know that I'm I'm really excited about our time this morning as we continue to journey through this series that we've been in called Keys to a Blessed Life. And as we get into it, I think I'll start with a question. And my question is this, are there any history buffs in here? Anybody in here enjoy history? We got one, two, uh, like 10 people, that's amazing. I enjoy history as well, and there's a period in time that really interests me. It's known as the BC era. And BC, of course, stands for before children, before children. <laughs> now don't get me wrong, I wouldn't trade being a dad for anything, but once in a while, as recently as last week driving to Toronto, Becca and I will take a trip down memory lane and we'll ask ourselves the question, what did we do for five years of marriage before we had our firstborn Charlie? And the answer is always super selfish. It was whatever we wanted to do. For five years, Becca and I literally did whatever we wanted. We stayed out as late as we wanted. We ate whenever we wanted. We ate wherever we wanted. And we slept in until whenever we wanted. And this period was, in this period of extreme selfish but awesomeness, another thing that we enjoyed doing was making our home our home. And Beck and I are big DIYers and we love a clearance aisle or a bargain bin. And so over the years, We've been carefully collecting some decor pieces and some furniture pieces and renovating and all of that to make our home our home. In fact, if you were to come in, uh, most likely different decor pieces all have a story or resemble some kind of significance that's personal to us at a certain level. And as the owners of such things, we take a lot of pride in, in what we've done and the things that we've collected and the things that we own and uh, we care for them really well. Do you know who doesn't give a rip about the organization and care of our stuff? Charlie, our toddler. I could share many stories, but a memorable recent one was this. Back in the BC era, before children, about four years ago, Becca and I were at an estate sale and we bought a little coffee sign table. We brought it home and we completely restored it. It's this beautiful espresso, now wood-stained thing. And then later on at Target, we found just like the perfect glass serving tray that fit just beautifully on it. It's marbled gold and white and it just literally looked like it was specifically made for this side coffee table. And there it sat for four long years. And I'm sad to report that this decor piece is no longer a member of our household. <laughs> the night was January 4th. 2020, and you may say, how do you remember that date so well? Well, I remember this date because I was in the middle of yelling at the referees for overturning what should have been a Buffalo Bills touchdown in the end zone of a botched kickoff attempt, attempt uh, against the Texans. And Charlie, he was in the living room at this exact moment, and he decided to engage in a newly discovered activity, which was throwing things. And it doesn't really matter for Charlie what it is. It could be a fork or a cloth or a bowl. He just loves dramatically throwing something off from one height and watching it fall to the ground. And so on this night, in the middle of this conversation I was having with the referees, he walked over to our restored coffee table. He gripped that glass tray, that perfectly designed glass tray with two hands. And before anybody could process what was happening, he dramatically flung it onto our tile entryway. 
And the sound was horrific as it broke into hundreds of little shards, this glass piece. And what I learned that night was not only do the Bills need a new offensive coordinator, but Charlie is just a terrible manager of our stuff. As our boy, he lives in mom and dad's home, and as the owner of the stuff within the home, we've given him access to many parts of our home, to many items that we have. He gets to use our stuff, he gets to play with our stuff, and he gets to enjoy the home that we're able to provide for him. But in his young life, he doesn't quite grasp this whole concept of managing well. In fact, in his little two-year-old world, he just gets to do whatever he wants with our stuff. And this is obviously a comedic example of, of an actual pretty uh, important significant, uh, spiritual concept that is oftentimes overlooked or just completely ignored. The concept of ownership in management is the exact situation that we all actually find ourselves in today when it comes to God and us here living on earth. And this concept, while it's really big, it's also gonna be our big idea today. And our big idea is that God is the owner and we are the managers. God is the owner and we are the managers. Now, if you have your Bibles, I'm gonna invite you to meet me in Luke 16, where we're gonna come across a parable, which is a fictitious story that helps us to illustrate a major point simply. And we're gonna see here that Jesus is alluding to this big idea that God is the owner and we are the managers here on earth. So I'm gonna read a couple verses, then we'll kinda of talk about it and so on. So we'll start in Luke 16. I'm gonna begin in verse one. He also, Jesus, said to the disciples, there was a rich man who had a manager and charges were brought against him that this man was wasting his possessions. And he called him and said to him, what is this that I hear about you? Turn in the account of your management for you can no longer be manager. And the manager said to himself, what shall I do? Since my master is taking the management away from me, I am not strong enough to dig and I am ashamed to beg. We'll pause here. This parable begins and we are introduced to two characters. The first is a rich man, he's known as the master, and the second is the manager who's in charge of managing the rich man's estate, the rich man's wealth. And he apparently is some sort of bill collector for the rich master, and all was going well in this manager's life until a charge was brought against him. And so just what was the charge? You know, did he accidentally park in the wrong parking spot? Did he leave the microwave in the office kitchen a little dirty? No. The charge that was brought against the manager was that he was wasting the rich man's possessions. That was the charge. He was wasting the rich man's possessions. And that's a pretty big deal and a fireable offense. The word wasting gives us this image that not only was the manager just really bad at managing, but he was intentionally shattering the possessions of the rich man, uh, the rich master, instead of managing them carefully. He was not effective, and he was caught wasting the rich man's resources, and the master is not happy about it. And so what does the master decide to do? Well, in verse two, we see that the master is going to call an audit against the manager. He wants him to turn in all the accounts. And so now facing a super uncertain future on the streets, the fired manager contemplates his options. He says that I would just make a terrible laborer because I'm not strong enough. And then he says, you know, the idea of begging on the streets to make it isn't super attractive either. And so what is the failed manager to do? Well, Jesus continues on with the story in verse four. I have decided what to do so that when I am removed from management, people may receive me into their houses. So summoning his master's debtors one by one, he said to the first, 
how much do you owe my master? And he said, a hundred measures of oil. And he said to him, take your bill and sit down quickly and write 50. Then he said to another, and how much do you owe? He said, a hundred measures of wheat. He said to him, take your bill and write 80. We'll pause here. So the failed manager realizes that his protection, his security that he's enjoyed from his current master is coming to an end. And so he needs to make some provisions for his own future. And so what he does is he begins to look through the master's accounts and he makes some quick deals in order to earn favor. Not with his soon-to-be former rich master, but with the people that are indebted to his rich master. We see he brings in the first client and he says, how much are you indebted to the master? And he says, I'm indebted 100 measures of oil. Probably this was olive oil and I don't know if any of us have recently been indebted 100 measures of olive oil. But if we fail to remember that this is an old text, then a hundred measures of oil can really be lost on us in its significance. Through a little bit of research, a hundred measures of oil would have been roughly about three years of an average salary, which is a lot of money. So the failed manager, he makes a deal. He says, look, I'll knock 50% off if you pay up right now, which is an amazing deal. It's smoking. So the guy does it. He writes 1.5 years of salary. That's how much he, he owed. Then he brings in the second client and he says, how much are you indebted to my master? And he says, I'm indebted 100 measures of wheat, which was about 100 acre of crop, which is a lot of wheat. It's about nine years of an average salary. And he says, if you pay up right now, I'll knock 20% off what you owe. Now it's unclear, and there's a lot of debate about where these cuts came from. That's a lot of money that the rich man wasn't going to see, the rich master wasn't going to see. Some believe that the manager was simply taking out his own commission. Others believe that he was just being dishonest as he had been for so long. But whatever it was, we know that the motivation of the manager's heart was to find favor with these people who received a very large and generous discount so that he may have security for his future. The manager was thinking ahead and he was making provisions even if they weren't necessarily righteous provisions for his own future. So what does the rich master think of all this? Well, Jesus continues on in the beginning of verse eight. It says, the master commended the dishonest manager for his shrewdness. Whoa, I mean, that's not the reaction that we would probably at all have expected. This word shrewdness means to be prudent or to be wise. Jesus says that when the master discovered that what the manager had done, he commended him, he praised him. The master actually appreciated what the uh, manager had done for his own foresight. If indeed he did cut out his own commission, then what that meant is the failed manager had made a sacrifice so that he could gain in his future. And for that, the master praised him because he had acted wisely. Now before we wisely go and rob a bank, uh, let's remember this is a story that Jesus is telling that aims to teach a major point simply. And if you are a Christian, meaning you're a follower of Jesus, then this, what this means is this parable that Jesus is telling, the point that he's making here, is also true of us today. So at this point in Luke 16, the parable has been told, the story has been completely set up, and now Jesus shifts his teaching back into reality, and he uses this backdrop of the parable to address our attitude on how we handle his possessions here on earth. I mean, after all, we are building this case that God is the owner and we are the managers. So I'm going to go ahead and jump back into verse eight here. 
Jesus says, for the sons of the world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. And I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth, so that when it fails, they may receive you into the eternal dwellings. Pause here again. Now this is certainly a strange passage at first glance, but I love what Jesus is doing. He says, uh, he says just look around you. Just take a look at what people are doing today. Doesn't it kind of seem that the unrighteous people, those that aren't even following me, those that aren't even obeying God, are being more wise with their money as they care for themselves and others than the sons of light, meaning those that obey God? Like the manager of the parable, the unrighteous of the world are using wealth to get what they want done. They're being wise. If, we're sitting at the, if we were sitting at the feet of Jesus at this moment amongst his disciples, I'm sure that our light bulbs would collectively begin to go off here. With the framework of the parable having just been told and in light of how Christ talks about uh, wisdom and wealth and possessions, we get this clear picture that in the parable, God is the rich master. God is the rich master in the parable. But beyond just being rich, we know that God is the creator. God is the owner. He gets that privilege. He owns all of this. And just who are we then as people on earth in the parable? Well, we would be the managers in this parable. God has entrusted his stuff to us. We live in his house. And as the owner of the stuff within the home, he's given us access to many parts of it to enjoy and to use. And as we're going to continue to see, like the master in the parable, God actually really does care how you and I manage his stuff here on earth, which leads us to our first point. And our first point is that God calls us to be wise with his stuff in his kingdom. God calls us to be wise with his stuff in his kingdom. He says to his followers in verse nine, check this out. He says, make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth so that when it fails, they may receive you into the eternal dwellings. Jesus is telling his followers, do not waste the resources that I have given to you. Don't be the manager who, if an audit was taken, would be shown to have been an ineffective with what God had given you. Instead, Jesus says, use my stuff for purpose. Use my stuff for purpose. And now this line about using money to make friends is not so that uh, we can you know, rave about our you know, 6,000 subscribers on YouTube or whatever that may be. No, Jesus' instruction is uh, for the purpose that all believers carry. A primary call that all believers have is to go therefore and make disciples of all nations. And I just love how practical Jesus is being about this. Think about it. How are we as Christians supposed to make disciples if we don't know anybody? If we're not friends with anyone, if we're not in relationship with people, what Christ is saying here is just so practical. He says, if you hoard his stuff, if you refuse to help, if you refuse to befriend with what you have been entrusted, with what you've been given to manage, then you're going to be an ineffective and unwise manager. If you hoard, if you refuse, then what you're being is an ineffective follower of God. Ouch. A few summers ago, and I may have shared this story, uh, I met a guy named Jimmy whose testimony really, really challenged me on this whole concept of managing God's stuff since he's the owner of it all. 
he and his wife, uh, both followers of Christ, left the States in the 80s, and they moved to Columbia with the goal of making disciples. That was something that they felt God really wanted them to do. Now, Columbia today probably seems rough, but back in the 80s, it was super rough. And so how did Jimmy make disciples uh, down in Columbia? Well, he started a metal fabrication company because that's what he knew how to do. And so he started this little company and what happened was God really blessed it. It became super successful, so successful that he was hiring dozens of employees uh, to work in this metal fabrication company. But here's where I really do believe this whole concept of making friends for purpose was being lived out in Jimmy's life at this time in his particular circumstance. He told me that in the application process, he had a question that he would ask verbally, and that was, are you a follower of God's? Are you a Christian? He would ask them. Now, you probably can't get away with that in the States today, but uh, Jimmy felt that it was not his responsibility to hire Christians Rather, it was his responsibility to hire non-Christians because what he told me is he felt that his mission was to use what God was giving him to befriend the lost in the workplace and he did so by gaining friends that he worked alongside of every single day in his metal fabrication company and he got to see many people come to Christ because of that. God calls us to be wise with his stuff in our kingdom, in his kingdom for his purpose. When we see that God is the owner of all things, when he's the owner of our possessions, our talents, our time, including even the digits in our own bank account, it will radically change how we allow stuff to be used or not to be used in our life and for whose purpose it's used for. So we could ask ourselves some questions at this point. We could ask ourselves, how wisely are we using the resources that God has entrusted to us? Think about the resources that you are allowed to manage here on earth. How wisely are we using those resources? Are we wasting it on things that maybe don't necessarily have any eternal significance? Or are we being shrewd? Are we being wise? Are we being good managers of it? Are we investing in people? Are we gaining friends, including family, and you know, befriending strangers and coworkers? Are we using God's resources wisely to make disciples, since that's a primary call of a Christian? Jesus continues on in verse 10. He says, One who is faithful in a very little is also faithful in much. And the one who is dishonest in a very little is also dishonest in much. And this takes us to point two. And point two is that God calls us to be trustworthy with his stuff in his kingdom. Jesus says, if you can be faithful, if you're faithful, if you can be trusted with a little, then you can be trusted with much. Now, we can uh, also assume the opposite will be true, that if you're a jerk with a little, you will continue to be a jerk when you have much. And this is because stuff as we know it, possessions, particularly wealth, magnifies the condition of our hearts. But I want to let you in on a secret. Here's a way to ensure that we can be trustworthy with God's stuff, that we don't fall into that category of being a jerk with the possessions that we have, instead being uh, trustworthy. Uh, And that's simply this, just stay connected to Jesus. Just stay connected to Jesus. As we abide in the Lord, as we uh, remain in Jesus, here's what's going to happen every single time. When you abide in Christ, all of a sudden, your hearts will continuously be transformed to be more like his. 
throughout your entire life. Your heart will become uh, a heart of even more integrity, of more generosity, of, of wisdom, of faithfulness, of mercy, of grace. And this type of heart transformation as you remain in Christ will continuously ensure that you are trustworthy with what God has entrusted to you as you are manager of his stuff here on earth. God is the owner, we are the managers. So what is the condition then of our hearts this morning and its motives? Are we being trustworthy with his stuff? Have we been faithful with the little that he's given us? And have we been faithful with the much? It doesn't matter whether we have $100 or a million dollars, are we managing God's stuff in a trustworthy, faithful way? God calls us to be trustworthy with his stuff in his kingdom. And Jesus continues on in verse 11. If then you have not been faithful in the unrighteous wealth, who will entrust you to the true riches? And if you have not been faithful in that which is another's, who will give you what is your own, which is your own? No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. And this takes us to our third and final point, and that is that God calls us to be generous with his stuff in his kingdom. Jesus continues to make this point that what we have has been entrusted to us by God, and it does matter how we manage it. It really does. He does care about it. The resources that we've been given to manage should not be counted and hoarded, but instead they should be used wisely, they should be used in a trustworthy manner, and they should be freely given as we meet people's physical and spiritual needs. And Jesus also reminds us, and this is a whole other sermon, but uh, that we cannot serve two masters. We cannot serve both God and wealth. We have to choose one or the other. If we fall into the camp that God is the owner of all things, I can tell you your heart is is one in which you realize that God is your Lord. But if you fall into the trap that you are the owner of all things and that everything that you've worked for is yours and yours alone, then you fall into the camp of money is your God. And and this is a fork in the road. You cannot serve both. It's God or money. uh, And that's the choice. But if God is Lord, then Lord of your life, then this is a question we can ask ourselves. How conscious are we, or how conscious have we been lately that what we have is not really owned by us, but has been given to us on loan from the Lord who wishes to see how wisely we handle his resources to serve the world? God is the owner, we are the managers. We have seen and we have heard a clear call from Jesus to be wise, to be trustworthy, and to be generous with the resources that he's entrusted to us because it's all his anyway. So what are we going to do about it this week? What are we going to do about it? To start, maybe we need to begin this week by just kind of coming to God in a spirit of forgiveness for being so selfish with the resources that he's entrusted to us. I know that like my son, Charlie, I can be a really bad manager of the owner's stuff. And I confess far more times than not, I have willingly shattered God's resources, wasting them because I've been unwise, untrustworthy, and greedy with his stuff and uh, that he has allowed me to manage. But I just want to make a quick note on this. What I don't want us walking out of here thinking is that God doesn't want us to enjoy life with what he has given us. As the owner of my home, I already told you, I love it when my son Charlie gets to play and enjoy what we're able to provide for him. 
For Christmas, Becca found this uh, really great uh, deal on Facebook Marketplace. It was a train table. And I just, uh, Charlie loves this train table and I love watching Charlie play with it. I love it so much. He enjoys this little thing that we were able to provide for him. But what I love even more though, is when a friend comes over or a cousin of his and he's quick to pass a train and to make some room and he shares what we've been given him to manage with a friend or a cousin. And for Charlie, at this two years stage of life, when he shares his resources, he's being wise and trustworthy and generous with the stuff. He's still enjoying it, but he's doing uh, something uh, far greater. Similarly, in the Bible, there's so much biblical evidence that God really does love it when we enjoy his creation. Uh, God created an amazing, amazing world with amazing, amazing things, and so it's okay to enjoy life, and in fact, it's a good thing to enjoy life. But what we need to know is that life is so much more than just enjoyment and entertainment. It's about being wise and trustworthy and generous with the stuff that God has given to us. Wisdom, trustworthiness, and generosity are all characteristics of God himself. And as the owner, he expects us to reflect these characteristics as managers of his stuff. So we could begin our week potentially by just kind of coming to God in that kind of spirit of forgiveness and ask him to do some some heart checks and really investigate the areas of our life where maybe we have been unwise or untrustworthy or greedy. And then we can maybe move into this time where we just ask God to just give us fresh eyes to see what he sees and heart to feel what he feels um, and so that we can become good managers of God's stuff. Ask God this week to help you, and and I'll be praying the same thing, help us to become more wise, to become more trustworthy and more generous with the resources that God has given to us. Maybe for you, it's a prayer of just reminding you of of why you're excited about being a believer in Jesus altogether, and and then what you could do as a believer is you have the privilege of going and making disciples, telling other people about this this life-saving relationship that you have with Jesus Christ. God is the owner and we are the managers. In the ancient Hebrew text of the Old Testament, God has many names attributed to him and one of the names that's used over uh, 400 times is this, this name Adonai. And the translation is pretty simple. The ancient Israelites knew it as this, is that there is one and only one owner. And they use that over 400 times. I think what the ancient Israelites really tried to understand and something that we should also try to really understand is that all the things that we see, all the things that exist, all the things that have been created, all the things that, uh, all the talents and treasures and stuff that we have, all the things we've worked for, all the things that have been given to us, it's all his and he is allowing us to manage it. And so let's manage it well for his glory. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much um, that you understood that as people, sometimes it was really hard to understand even a basic concept. And so you would oftentimes speak in parable, story, to help us understand where you were getting at. And we, we only uncovered just a little bit from Luke 16, but what we uncovered is super challenging. God, it's this whole concept that you really are the owner of all things. God, you created all things. You understand best how life is to be lived. And you call us to be wise and trustworthy and generous with what you have entrusted to us. God, I confess that personally this has been super difficult for me as of late. As I have kind of been really focused on my own little kingdom and what I have been building. And so I ask forgiveness for that. 
God, I pray that you would help me to have eyes like you see. Uh, give me a heart that feels like you feel. God, give me opportunities this week to be more wise, more trustworthy, and more generous with the resources that you have entrusted to me. God, remind me of the joy of my own salvation, for why I love you, for why I've given my life to you, for what you've done in my life. And God, excite me about the possibility of making disciples with those that I come in contact with, using the resources that you've entrusted to me. I thank you that Crosswinds has been faithful in years previous, that as I've been here for a long time, I've seen that this church, God, has been wise and trustworthy and generous with the resources that you've entrusted to us. And I pray that that is a legacy that never ceases to exist here. God, we love you. And however you wanna work in our hearts with this text, we just ask that we give you permission to do so. We pray this all in your name, amen.